This show is brought to you by a man so successful, he got a uh, um, podcast. This is uh, Jeremy McComb, his podcast thing. Oh, Christ. This is going to be terrible. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Happy Monday. It's not Monday. It's Tuesday. Uh, this is the Too Dumb to Quit podcast, and I'm a day late because... Um, over the weekend, I was not on the road for once. I was actually in the studio, and uh, we're working on new music and a new album. And then we had pumpkin patching to do. Uh, what else did we do? We had Boo at the Zoo. That's right, in Nashville. Um, and I guess, do they, they probably do this at a lot of zoos, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, they, yeah, it's called Boo at the Zoo here in Nashville. And your kids dress up, you take them to the zoo, and they trick-or-treat, and they have a big... Uh, like games and rides and hay rides and haunted shit um, all through the dance zoo. Parties. So dance parties, yeah, it's pretty cool. So uh, boo at the zoo here in Nashville, and then uh, got back into the studio late overnight to uh, get some vocals and stuff done, which we are moving quickly on. I'm very excited about it. So uh, I'm a day late, and my apologies on that. But I am at home. I'm getting ready to. Uh, to get back on the road this week, uh, brought to you by the MyPureHempCBD.com folks. If you haven't checked them out and you have questions about CBD or anything like that, uh, jump on to MyPureHempCBD.com. Robin on there can uh, take care of any questions you might have. If you're sleeplessness or irritability or joint discomfort, anything like that, uh, it's helped me a lot in my journey and they support my tour, so check them out. Um, but I'm headed back to my hometown this week, which I'm pretty excited about. I'm going to be back in State Line, Idaho for a Friday and Saturday. And it's not uh, normal that I'm in a place for two nights in a row, but it's our five-year anniversary this week, uh, yeah, of the Nashville North, which is um, a, uh, a honky-tonk that we opened up five years ago um, with uh, our best friend, uh, my best friend, Miller Bob. And it's just, uh, it's crazy to see what it's turned into. It's really turned into something special and uh and we've been voted, uh, thankfully, by all the people that go there as the number one honky-tonk and live music venue in North Idaho for the last five years. So, anyway, um, very excited about that. Very excited to celebrate with the staff and, and the people that have uh, helped us turn that thing into what it is. So, uh, back at it today, podcasting. I forgot my other microphone in my bus. Um, so, we're using one microphone, which actually works out because today... Uh, I am interviewing a television star, and um, I don't want to uh, spread any rumors, but I've, I've made out with her a couple of times. <laughs> I have. Is it is true or not true? Is it true? Uh, I mean, I, I can't deny it. Yeah. <laughs> rumors are true, people. We're making out. Not like currently, because this is one of those microphones that picks up a lot of noise. It'd be like one of those, what oh, are those? Gross. What are they called? ASMR videos? Yeah. Where people are like, okay. you don't have headphones on, but this sounds gross. It's yeah, like a, no, I can imagine, because I'm like hearing it live right now. Boot stuck in mud. <laughs> oh, the pickle one is the worst. The chick have you eat, ever seen those? The things? chick eating the pickle. Uh, I don't have the, the clip up, but I'll grab it and play it for people. It is nasty. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I'm talking to my wife, uh, Courtney Hansen. For those of you that don't know, Courtney um, uh, is from Des Moines, Iowa, right? Yep. Yeah. 
I'm going to try to talk to you like you're not my, like I don't know the answers to all these questions, but I do have questions too. Um, so kind of take people through your journey of um, small town growing up in Des Moines, Iowa, and how you go from there, uh, kind of how your path started with theater and college and all the stuff that you did to uh, kind of get your start in the drama side. Okay. Um, well, starting out, yeah, I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, my parents are just, you know, middle-class America, so I didn't have any background in theater or acting or performing by any means, um, but I just had that bug starting out early, and I would do shows in high school and um, audition for different things here and there, nothing too major until I graduated, and that's when I went to Drake University um, as a theater major. Um, with an emphasis in acting so that's where I, I got my BFA and uh, pretty proud of that which is uh, what's was a BFA a bachelor of fine arts oh with an, <laughs> in theater with an emphasis in acting big, there's a big I don't... fucking ass is what <laughs> my friends would call a BFA man look at that BFA over there so what's a BFA there's a big fucking asshole over there <laughs> like Jordan Johnsrud he's a big fucking he's a BFA <laughs> Sorry. I'm not going to comment, Jordan, if you're listening. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Um, there, there, I don't know if you've seen this, but actually in our house, there's a big framed piece of paper that yeah. has all of this information on it. It sits right above this area that you call your desk that yeah. you like to do work at every single day. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's got my name on it. And yeah, but it, <laughs> sorry, but it's big college words. I'm a high school dropout. I can't read the thou thou art hallowed no, hallowed no. ground of thy acting academy. <clears throat> Look how close we have to be with one <laughs> microphone. <laughs> this is so unprofessional. No, it's good. And I have really bad breath because I just ate lunch. <laughs> no, it smells like linguine. <laughs> okay, so you got your, your degree. You got me Drake. all off course. Yes, so I got my, my degree from Drake University in Des Moines, and, um, and I love it there. So shout out to Drake because everybody there is just amazing. It's not like your typical theater school. Everybody goes to New York and L.A. and blah, blah, blah. But I didn't, so I took a different path. And I did that, and I... um. Um, and I, that's our dog, I know that's Emmy. She wants to be a part of this show. She always does. She also wants to wake up the child. <laughs> um, so yeah. So after that, then what did I do? I'm all distracted because <laughs> so after that I stayed in Des Moines and, um, I started auditioning for different things around town. I got an agent there, which, um, Again, not a lot of people would think Des Moines is a mecca for um, for performing in and uh, different, you know, um, different things like that. I guess I should say, but there's a lot of commercial work. There's a lot of theater. There's a lot of stuff like that. So I started there doing doing all of that jazz and um and then got into radio. Um, but you also sorry you no. also danced like oh, yeah. you have a big dance background. I do. Yeah, I started dancing when I was four. Um, and danced my entire life, uh, took lessons. Um, in fact, from my cousin who opened her own dance studio when I was um, in middle school, ended up going to her. Uh, but I did dance my whole life, took ballet, tap, jazz, hip hop, and then got out and was teaching that while I was pursuing you know, other acting endeavors and things there. So yeah, I do have that dance background there. Um, I was on several dance teams while I lived in Des Moines doing all the acting stuff. So I was doing lots of different things just to make that all work. So when you're in Des Moines, sorry, I keep hitting you in the face <laughs> with this fucking pop filter. Uh, 
So when you are, you're in Des Moines, you're doing dance, right? And I'm talking about like once you're already grown up, you know, you're over 18, you're doing dance, you're doing... Emmy Lou is drinking out of her dog bowl, and it's almost like ASMR. It sounds like you're licking your own elbow right now. Free to a good home. If anybody wants a dog, no. Yeah, you can have She's her. She's eleven. She's eleven. She's not going anywhere. She's seventy-seven in dog years, no. right? Isn't not that right? Exactly. I'm not no. quick at math, but no, so. At, if you want to know. But so when you are doing those, <laughs> Jesus. Now she's ringing a server bell that Courtney has hung from the back door. You want to let her out so you sure can talk to me? We have to let her back in. That's fine. Um, Jesus. This is why I do the podcast from the bus normally. You have to be silent in the background. That's what makes it You don't real. tell me. You don't tell me what to do. It's reality. So as, as you're dancing... You're doing theater, right? Yep. You were doing community theater. Yeah, and, and other things too. You know, there was independent film shooting there and commercials, all different types of things. Yeah. So I remember when I first met you, what your days looked like. And they were, ma- it was madness because you were working at the radio station. You were still acting, mm-hmm. doing like theater stuff. And then you were doing, you had started a, a dog sitting business. Mm-hmm. You know, so take me through like what that day looked like. Mm-hmm. Just. And I'm talking about just based on the grind of um, following like a passion and learning and making it all work like monetarily, you know? Oh, and that's been a while, so that's hard. But um, yeah, I, I had to adjust my expectations of what I could do where I was at in that time because I knew I wasn't ready to move out to one of the coasts and I wanted to stay close by where my family was, but I also wanted to pursue... Um, my passions and my dreams and I found um, (laughs) through a community play actually I found Andy Elliott who um, had been in the play with me and he also happened to work for a radio station in town and hired me on one radio station and long story short it ended up transitioning to me being on a morning show of the other radio station in the same um, cluster and I was kind of like the morning show sidekick I did traffic and stuff like that so that wasn't exactly what I had set out to do, but it was along the same path. So that um, helped pay the bills so that I could go ahead and audition, you know, whenever I needed to and go do other jobs because it left time to do those um, as well as theater at night if I needed to rehearse or do shows at night and teach dance classes too. So, yeah, you just have to <laughs> do whatever you can to, to be able to pursue what you love. Um, until you get to do what you love and make money at it. And and you were like, you were getting up at three in the morning and then going to the radio station. And then you would leave the radio station and you would go do like dog visits for people whose animals were like out of town. Yeah. And then you would go do like the dance. What was the dance squad in Des Moines? You had the barn fucking... <laughs> Well, I wasn't on the barn. Not the barn fuckers. The uh, <laughs> I was, there was a barnstormers football team, but I did um, the energy, which was a basketball uh, team. A basketball team. Yeah, yeah, I did that, but I also did other ones like the Des Moines Menace, which was a soccer team, which was really fun. There was only one year of that. We were the <laughs> inaugural uh, dance team. That was kind of uh, interesting, but yeah, I yeah. So I would go. I would pet sit. 
throughout the day and I would go do my either my dance practice at night or I'd have a game or um or I'd have rehearsals for a play or whatever so my entire day was filled and I'd have maybe an hour to run home and take a nap and eat some lunch yeah well and that's the and that's the the grind for people that are wanting to do their own thing you know people that don't want to be on a conveyor belt people that don't want to have to live by other people's rules so you you find those schedules where people go like fuck I don't know how you do it and you're like well I, I have to do it because there's no other way that the light bill stays on right and so and that doesn't change in this industry in any difficult industry you know it's like you, you look at people that have like landscaping companies and it's like they're out first thing in the morning and then they go and they grab their kids and they drop them back off and then they go right back out mowing lawns or, or whatever it is and so that hustle is what's amazing. So you're working at the radio station and you had like, you had some crazy shit come through like um, through your local agent in Des Moines where you did, had some pretty uh, unique opportunities <laughs> like the, um, what was the, what was the Paul McCartney thing? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was interesting. That was uh Oh gosh, when Paul McCartney was out on his great big tour and um like for the first time he went back out again solo. Right. And the um the agency in town needed um people to come in and basically hand stuff out. They we weren't really told much about it other than you were gonna be walking around the bowl of this arena handing things out. It's not like we were even expecting to be at the show. No. In fact, we were supposed to leave before it started. Uh, by people, do you mean beautiful young women? <laughs> Actually, that call was for men and women. Oh, it really? didn't matter. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Um, and they did have, if I remember, it's been so long, but if I remember it right, there was another part that did say girls on it. But I just signed up because I was like, I just want to go. I want to go see if I can get to the concert. I thought yeah. maybe I can go watch the concert, even if it's from outside the, you know, the doors or whatever in the bowl. So we get there and they end up saying to us okay we need this many people to go over here and then we need um girls the beautiful let me the beautiful <laughs> young girls okay and then we want about 11 girls to be cheerleaders is what they called it and i was like oh okay I'm, i'll do that yeah you know um and not knowing anything about it or what it was they they take these girl us girls um and start walking us into also known as beautiful young girls <laughs> start walking us into the arena um and I don't remember at that time if I knew what was going to happen um but they let us down to the floor level mind you this is before the concert this is like two or three hours before it started and we're going down to the floor and that's when they explained to us that we are going to be there for Paul's sound check to to cheer him on, basically, to be his audience during sound check. Because Paul wants to sound check in front of hot younger. Who doesn't want that? <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so you guys walk down. Yeah, so we walk down. They take us to like, and the reason why I know this is because I was so blown away by all of it. But it was like the um, the twelfth row. I counted because it was so exciting um, on the floor. And um, in walks Paul McCartney with, I believe his drummer walked in with him and, of course, security. But he's walking past us and waving, going, hi, girls. And he gets up on stage. Hello, hello, beautiful young ladies. (laughs) I was in the Beatles. That's a terrible accent. (laughs) Yeah, you do. Don't do that. (laughs) I suck at fucking accents. All right. 
<laughs> you think you're good, and that's all that matters. Thank you. I do it with gusto. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, so we just he goes up and he starts playing songs. So we're there listening to the Beatles song, the Beatles songs, and Paul McCartney, and um, it was just absolutely surreal. And lots of the song. I mean, during soundcheck, you don't always play an entire song, so. Um, we didn't hear like a full blown show, but it basically was our own private concert with Paul and he would talk to us during soundcheck and <clears throat> it was just, yeah, it was, it was amazing alone in itself, just be, being able to go to soundcheck. And then afterwards you guys are like front row, right? And he, he walked out and waved at y'all. And- yeah, pretty much. So yeah, they bring us back to our dressing room after the soundcheck and ask who wants to go to the concert. And of course everybody was like, me, me. And my mom loved Paul when she was, that was her Beatles. So I'm like. He was in the Beatles. <laughs> so I'm freaking out, calling my mom, telling her everything. And yeah, stay for the show. They put us in, like right smack in the front. Um, and he's pointing at us and waving during the show. And it, it was just, it was just insane. That's amazing. Yeah. So we, I mean, obviously you were working in the radio station, so. You had a lot of uh, country artists like up-and-comers and and guys that have been around a little while come up and uh, visit the radio station, you know, and uh, hit on you, flirt with you because you're beautiful. Um, But so you end up coming to Nashville, right? And um, you were in a ton of videos. I mean, you did... Once you kind of took the jump to get down here, I mean, obviously you did the, the Stan Needs a Bar video with me, but then you did a sweet thing for Keith Urban. Yep, yep. You helped choreograph some Lost Trailer stuff. Yep, Kelly Pickler, Best Days of Your Life. Yeah, a sweet thing for Keith Urban. Did yeah. I already say that? Uh, you yeah. were in Video of the Year with Luke Bryan. Yeah, I do. Or do I? For I do. Old, uh, <laughs> Cowboy Luke there. I remember what it's called. Do I? Yep. Yeah, that was a good one. That was fun. And then... Um, you were kind of you were kind of a hot commodity there for a moment in the uh, in the country music videos. I don't know if anybody even shows videos anymore, but um, those you were you were in a bunch of them there. And then, um, kind of talk about so you got an agent here in Nashville, mm-hmm. uh, Mark Block. Yep, that I, he actually um, I met Mark. Before I even, well, I didn't meet him. I knew about him before I moved down, and I signed with him immediately yeah. when I got here. So yeah. he's the reason for all of that stuff, yeah. And through that, you ended up getting um, an audition for a pilot, which um, kind of walk, walk everybody through kind of how this whole thing came together with uh, Nashville. Because in the very beginning, it was just like, it was very, um, uh, what do you call it? Like, uh, it, it was Fuck, what's the word? Um, what are you trying to say? I don't know. I'm trying to say, like, it wasn't very, it wasn't apparent. It wasn't, like, spelled out what was kind of happening. It was yeah, just, right. like. Yeah, right. It was kind of secretive. Like, yeah, the whole yeah, thing yeah. was very, um, we knew it was an ABC pilot. We knew it was called Nashville, but that's about all we knew about yeah. it. Um, so you went in to read for, I, I think it was called, it was just, like, Assistant Juliet's One. Juliet's Assistant. Right? Yeah. It was Juliet's Assistant, and I went in and read for it. And the first time we read it was just in front of a camera and a casting director, a local casting director. It wasn't even you know with anybody from the show or anything like that so explain that that process for people who don't know when you're looking at okay you're going to do an audition a taped audition in with front of a casting director explain how that goes down 
So you're basically being called in at a certain time. Usually you have an appointment with them, um, but you go in there and you see a room full of people that look just like you pretty much. Um, yeah. And you get called. I'll go, I'll go in for the same part. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For the, yeah. Usually they do that schedule people at the same time. And then, um, and then you go into the room with the casting director and you just, you do what you had prepared and usually they'll give you some direction on how to do it again. And they tape the whole thing, and then that goes off to the producers and the writers and whoever needs to see it to make the decision of who's getting called back. Um, and that's the whole next step of the process. So once you reach that callback time, um, you go in, and again, you're in a room with people that look like you, even more so at this time. Um, and you might be meeting with people from the show you might not it might be the casting director again in my case for nashville i actually met with callie curry who was the writer of nashville and creator and um and one of our major producers in the beginning and went in there and and taped an audition with them um and they gave me some direction after the first time so you run through it a couple times but you actually get to meet the people who are going to be running the show a lot of the time so the the coolest thing that I that I uh, that I think about with this was the way that you approach characters. So there there's no like for people that just have no background at all in this. When you first got the description of what you're reading, it's literally assistant. There is no background. There is no name. There is no here's where she grew up. Here's how she acts. And the thing that I've learned from you by watching television or watching movies and, and watching you kind of go through this process is the background stuff that people come up with, like um, connecting to that background to become a character. So you came up with this character like in your head before the read. And the thing that I thought was really uh, incredible was you're going into, I think it was your last audition when you went down there and you wanted to look different than you knew everybody else was going to. So talk about that. Yeah, that's one thing I wanted to focus on because as an assistant in Nashville, I mean, I had seen enough of them to know what they did, exactly what right. they did, how it's they not, ran. It's they, not a glamorous. No, 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 no. And you're constantly running around waiting on other people, you know, doing whatever dirty work that they need you to do. Um, and, I didn't want to go in there with high heels and a skirt because that's not realistic for an assistant in this town. Um, even in Nashville, it's not, that's not that realistic. So when I went in, I just wore flats, jeans, and a cardigan, just like, you know, I'm relaxed, but I look nice and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do whatever I need to do. So everybody, literally every other woman in that room was wearing a dress or a skirt or high heels and high heels for the most part and their hair was all pulled back and you know quaffed like they were ready to go out to the club but right. or to to an office you know things like that which some assistants do dress like that and and time told that Emily did dress nice you know and she yeah. wore nice clothes but she also evolved as time went by but yeah that's the choice that I made so um, obviously it, it made some sort of impact well and the other thing too is in the pilot you, you know, you were in the pilot of that. You never really know what's going to happen. It ends up getting picked up. And you're still in there as Juliet's assistant. And through, like, just work ethic and your 
um, take on the character of continuing to dive into a character you don't know anything about. Like, it's literally like you're just, you're this chick's bitch to grab, hey, grab my fucking orange juice or whatever, you know what I mean? And there's no background, and you continued, and I watched it, and I was fascinated by it, um, to like have a background in your mind of who she was and your relationship with Juliet and why they were friends, even though the show never even had covered it at that point, like why you were so loyal to her and those things. And so like that process is crazy too. And because of that, and you can talk about it more, um, but because of that, your character earned a name, you know, they, they gave her a name. They gave you a bit of a backstory. They gave you some plot, where you know people thought you were sleeping with Avery, which that didn't happen, did it? Because no. I don't fucking have to hate to kill that guy, you know. Um, but no, so kind of walk through like the character development, how it comes along, you know, and in your work ethic into it and your mindset into it, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna play a character, you have to know who that person is, at least in your own mind. Even if nobody else ever finds out who that person is, you have to know the reason behind what you are doing. So a lot of the time when Juliet's so awful, um, there had to have been a reason why I didn't go, well, F you, I'm leaving. You know, like this is ridiculous. I don't need to keep this job. I can work for somebody else. There was, so I had to find that in there and find the goodness about her because as, as the show went on and progressed and she went through her ups and downs, I stayed there and I also didn't give up on her when she had you know rough times and everybody else did so that is incredibly important to to every character to know where they're coming from and why they relate to the other characters in the way that they do um and with the tv show it's so different because you're not given an entire script of the whole run of the show so you don't know where it's going so you might decide something about your character and then three episodes down the road they tell you something that completely conflicts with it but it's your job to figure out how that works or to transition and morph into what they have developed your character into. So it's just, it's for me, it's all part of the fun in it because it's, it's like a, it's a story. It's, it's being somebody else and getting to choose your own adventure in a way with that person. Well, and you just said something that, that I'm going to touch on here uh, by the end of the podcast, which is being a student. And um, obviously, you know, I base a lot of the stuff in my life on the stoic stuff, but, um, you said something going into that, that, um, you have to have a reason, right? And I, and that is so true in everything from character development on a TV show to actual, your, you know, your job every day or your school every day or your class every day, or you're doing jujitsu or you're. Uh, going to a fucking job you hate or whatever it is. You have to have a reason that makes that all come together. The thing that makes you want to do that because uh, without the reason, you know, it's like the old saying of, um, you know, a a guy, a a sailor who doesn't know where he's headed, there is no favorable wind. You know, you're just, you're just being blown about. You're a fucking sailboat with no mast. And, until you decide, like, okay, here's where I'm going. This is what I want. And figuring that out with who you are and where you want to go, you're always going to feel like you're struggling. You're always going to feel like you're treading water. You're always going to feel like you don't have a plan. You don't have a purpose because you don't have the reason, right? And I think 
that's such an amazing thing uh, for you to approach it that way of like, you have to have the reason you have to have, um, you know, that thought process behind it. And then even more so going into that TV show, talk about the difference, the jump in going from, okay, you went to Drake, you did a bunch of TV commercials, like local type commercials, or you were like pet meds, you know, you had yeah. the pet meds thing was yeah. happening and that was on every 12 seconds all across <laughs> fucking America. Yeah. yeah. And I had buddies of mine call me in the middle of the night. I don't know if, if I ever told you this. I'm not going to say which buddy because it'd be weird, but <laughs> I had a friend call me one night and he goes, uh, so for those of you who don't know, the, the there was an old, um, not old, it was just a couple years back, but it was uh, the pet meds. Yeah, 1-800-PET-MEDS ads. And it had you and this little fluffy dog. Mm -hmm. And they showed it fucking incessantly. It was on all the time. Yeah, and my, I would get one. text messages all the time like, dude, your wife's on TV, right? Your wife's on TV. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, it's going to be on TV all the time. So stop texting me every time. <laughs> like, I get it. And then I had a friend of mine text me one night and go, I have something really strange to tell you. And he, he said he was... Um, uh, oh, engaging man. in a lewd act with himself and <laughs> he goes and in a hotel room and an ad came on TV and it was your wife but out of respect I stopped <laughs> well that isn't that nice that's nasty sorry I shouldn't even have said that um, so switching gears going from TV commercials going from local theater going from community theater going from a college degree in drama. Describe the jump when you're working with, do what? In theater. In theater, yeah. When, when you, all of a sudden, you get this part, you have a pilot, and now you're acting with like um, Hayden Panettiere mm -hmm. and Connie Britton and these people that have done this for so, what, what's the Jonathan Jackson, right? Yeah. Didn't your mom watch him when he like, you guys, well, he was she, on a soap she opera, right? Watched General Hospital, but he was on that forever. He was, he grew up in, yeah, in the entertainment entertainment industry, just like Hayden did. So he's been doing it forever too. So what kind of, what was the feeling when you get in there? Um, and this is what I love about that entire setup is you can't have an ego in that because you're such an apprentice at that. I mean, you're you walk in and it's like, okay, well Hayden's been in movies since she was three, you know, and so. What's that feeling? What's that mindset walking into that? It's extremely intimidating and ex and so scary. It, I mean, it, it was it was exhilarating because I I was a fan of Hayden's. I had just finished watching Heroes. They just you know yeah. ended that show shortly before, and I was a a huge fan of that show. So I walked into this room with this person I admired so much and had watched pretty much my you know a lot of my life she's not as old as I am but um for a very long time and now she's in the same room with me and I'm acting with her yeah. it, w it was absolutely insane and you don't you don't want to let on that no I haven't been doing this as long as you have in the capacity that you have but you also have that feeling of oh my gosh am I going to be able to do this um I'm just going to have to you know put on that face and go and just learn as much as I possibly can and stay quiet and focused and do what they tell me to do and remember that I was hired for this I was booked for this for a reason right. so um 
yeah it's it's scary it's so scary but you get in there and you just you take everything in. if you're smart about it you go in there and you start learning the second you step into the room you watch you pay attention to everything everyone's doing everything everyone's saying the crew the cast everybody it doesn't matter who it is because it is so different like that sort of atmosphere I had been you know in an independent film before too but it was never in that manner where it's so um organized i guess i don't know how else to explain it but it's um it's a different format well it's the it's the top i mean it's it's a it's becoming a it's the nfl to college you know and they're using terms you don't fucking understand my background was in theater i didn't have that training in film or tv so i was learning all of these words that i hadn't ever really heard before um like action No, I know. I'm pretty sure I knew knew that one. Yeah, that's pretty important. Um, But yeah, so I just had to take it all in and and fast. Yeah. And if you want to keep your job, you got to know what you're doing. So it was just, and I'm. I feel like I'm pretty good at that. Not to toot my own horn, but I'm. uh, Well, you're good. You're so good at adapting. You're very good at adapting. You're kind of a chameleon. And the other great thing about you is you're a sponge. So it's like it removes any. The, and and I've, I've watched you do this and I've tried to take a page from your book so many times because it removes any pretense from people that have been doing this long. Like Chip, you know, how long? I mean, Chip's mm. been in Los Angeles doing this forever. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Who was Deacon on the show? Yeah, he was Deacon. Uh, he was also on like... Uh, Whose line on, is it anyway? Ah, he's so good on it. Um, and the struggles that he went through too, you know, you guys commiserated on that and and... When you walk into a situation as a sponge, there is when there is no ego, all the walls come down in the room. Everybody wants to help. Everybody wants to give you pointers. If you're the guy that's in there going like, "Hey man, I just want to know everything." And it's it, that's I've I've used that so many times, but watching you do it is an amazing thing and I think it's something people can just put towards their everyday. If you walk in as a sponge, you know, and, and ready to work and I'm ready to learn and people want to help. Mm-hmm. It's when you walk in thinking you know shit right. and not knowing what you don't know, mm-hmm. you know. Well, not allowing anybody to help you either. Like, I know what I know and that's that's all there is to right. it. This is what I do. Right. So right. get the fuck back. You yeah. Know? And so now you're on that stage, which is a, a crazy thing. Six years. Mm-hmm. And through that, you build up relationships with everybody on the show you build up relationships with uh, Callie the creator of the show who also did Thelma and Louise and yeah won an Oscar and and I mean all these crazy people when I would go to these like uh, show rap parties with you and the people that you were talking to you know the Fink Cannons and, and all those people who who do these gigantic TV shows, you know, The Walking Dead and, yeah. and stuff that I'd seen everywhere. I mean, I was just in awe by it. And it's an amazing thing to watch. And so from that, watching you grow over six years and, and watching that show progress, it's just an amazing job. And what was that, you know, if you kind of look back now on it a little bit, like what do you take from that that you still apply you know, I mean, I know there's a ton of it, but but what do you take that you still apply in the next chapter when you because, you know, the business on both sides of this is so much feast or famine where, you know, I mean, you go 25 years without ever being on a TV show and then all of a sudden you're on a TV show mm-hmm. and then 
then you have this downtime. And in the downtime, you know, you're doing other projects, you're doing tons of auditions. So how do you approach that? And, and what do you think the best way is for people that are just trying to get their foot in the door for the first time, you know? I'll be patient. Be, be, and that's so hard to, to do that and have somebody tell you to just be patient because the hardest thing is waiting for exactly what you want to happen. And coming off of a show where I was working consistently for six years to, you know, sporadic things happening now is really hard. So to keep that, um, momentum going and to keep that positivity going, um, I just have to, you know, remember, I guess think about how it was on the show and how uh, amazing of an opportunity it was. And the time that I spent there was something that so many people that are trying to do this never get just that one thing. So just remembering that, keeping that in my mind as a focus, like I got a huge whale and the next one will come eventually. I just have to keep pushing forward. It's just to keep, you know, you know, cutting through that rock, like you're the water, you know, just keep grinding well, every and, day and continuing to be a student you know you're, right. you're learning from from the opportunity and then so you go from the tv show that's on weekly on television to you know you i mean there's so much more there isn't even time on this podcast to talk about everything you've done but i mean you were uh you were the uh, captain of the dance team for the nashville predators you were the in-arena announcer for the nashville predators our hockey team here uh stanley cup finals which we haven't won it yet but we're going to um and then uh you know, from there, you do the Hallmark Christmas movie uh, last year, which was the biggest Christmas movie in Hallmark's history, which is Christmas at Graceland, uh, which was amazing. And uh, watching you guys act like it was winter in Memphis <laughs> in, in, July. in July, it was 9,000 degrees, me and the kids were in the pool. Um, you know, it's an amazing thing, and, and your resume is incredible, and, and uh, you just continue to keep showing up. And I think as a student of the game, a student of our own lives, I think that's just what we have to continue to do. You just continue to show up every day. And the other thing I think that you do that is so brilliant that I think all people should do is you write down shit that you want. Um, and you write down quotes that you, you know, that we all read in the house here. You've got them up on the chalkboard. <laughs> it's a good thing the kids can't totally read yet. because. <laughs> Even though you're nice and sweet, there's still some motherfuckers on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes. Well, you have, you have to. Life would be really boring if there weren't any swear words. Yeah. That's Gosh you, darn it. We'll just not married, have his... That's why you married me and not Philip Rivers. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, you know? Um, yeah, you have to keep learning and growing. If you don't, you're just... You just become a lump. You become a heap yeah. of nothingness, you know? That's... Humans are meant to continue to learn and grow no matter how old you are. So every day there's something to be learned. Every day there's something to be happy about. It doesn't matter where you are, what position you're in, what situation you're in. Um, there's always a, there's always a silver lining somewhere. And some days it's really, really hard to find. I'm going to get like all chugged up because... <laughs> It's hard to talk about. No, um, but it is. It's especially in the industry that we are in um, because you feel like when things aren't happening, nobody wants you. That's the first thing we internalize that. We we take it on ourselves like it's all our fault. It's who we are as people. And that's not true. It's just like with any job. You know, some people are, are meant to do something more than others. So you have to keep that um that focus and that balance about you um and just while you're while you're waiting while you're pursuing these things 
learn whatever you can. Um, I learn from every audition that I do. I get, um, I get together with my good friend Ed Amatrudo, who played Glenn um, on Nashville, who lives five minutes from my house, which is amazing. <laughs> and um, he helps coach me on auditions that we have to send in tapes for, uh, which is basically how we do it now. If you all wanted to know how that worked, it's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, he helps me explore these characters that have nothing, that are given one piece of paper with three lines on it and you're supposed to make something out of them. Yeah. Um, and that, that just helps me um, stay um, stay focused as an actor, but also grow while I'm not working on a specific show. So it, it's, it's, all, it's all part of the journey. It's all part of life and enjoying where you're at at the moment. Well, and I think um, there's a sign, and I wanted to hit on this, and I know our, uh, our son just woke up. Uh, so we're trying to do this at nap time because it's parent time before I go on the road. Uh, but there's a sign in the New York Fire Department Training Academy that says, let no man's ghost come back to say my training let me down. And I think that that's such a, a, a profound thing to say of, of being a sponge, being open to it all the time. And Kirk Hammett, uh, I know you don't know who that is, but he's the lead guitar player in Metallica, but he's not the original one. Mm-hmm. So Metallica was getting ready to kind of, like shit was kind of starting for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, they fired uh, Dave Mustaine and they threw him out of the group, handed him a, a bus ticket back to San Francisco. And they brought in Kirk Hammett, who was in a band called Exodus. And they were, um, he was getting kind of thrown into this new life. And their first show, I think, came a, a couple of days after they brought Hammett in. Um, so Metallica was already kind of like a local hero at this point. They were like, uh, everybody was talking about this band. Everybody is, you know, uh, talking about this new metal band. And so it was about this time that Kirk realized that uh, despite his years of playing and being invited to join like his dream band of Metallica, he wasn't as good of a guitar player as he wanted to be. And so in San Francisco, where he's from, he looked for a guitar teacher and he, he wanted one that had a reputation for being a teacher's teacher and for working with like musical prodigies like Steve Vai. Uh, he got Joe Satriani, which everybody knows who he is now, but not at the time. So uh, it's interesting because Joe Satriani does not play the shit that Metallica plays. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, so Hammett chose Satriani, which might kind of uh, bewilder people a little bit, but uh, he was teaching out of a, a small place in Berkeley. And, um, but that was the point. Kirk wanted to uh, learn what he didn't know and to firm up his understanding of the fundamentals so he might continue exploring this genre of music that he had now had a chance to pursue. So Satriani uh, talked about it and said um, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't real talent that uh, Hammett was, uh, was lacking. He said that the, what separated Hammett from other people was his willingness to endure the type of instruction that other people wouldn't. He was a good student when Satriani would say, okay, go do these chord uh, progressions, you know, and, and he's a seasoned guitar player. He knows his fucking chord progressions. So yeah. that's boring shit. But it's it's drilling. It's yeah. drilling it in, you know. And um, so he would bring it back week after week. And he told uh, Kirk, he said, you're going to have these exercises I'm going to send you. You're going to come back with it. If you don't practice it and you come, then don't come back mm-hmm. because you're wasting my time. You're wasting your time. So two years, he started to bring back these Satriani licks and riffs and stuff. And the power of being a student is not just in the extended period of instruction, but what we were talking about earlier, it puts your ego at the fucking door because this guy can school you, yeah. you know. 
um, it's like you walking in with Hayden and, and, and Connie Britton. It's like walking into a jujitsu studio for the first time where you don't know what the fuck you're doing and these guys can all kick your ass, but they're instructing you. There's no room for ego. And when you start stripping your ego away from things, I promise you, your life will get better. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what job you're doing. If you can become an apprentice, especially when there's people that you're not even close to when it comes to, you know, level, uh, you can't fake bull or bullshit your way through education. You can't. You have to know it. Yeah. And... Um, it's hard to think that someone is better than us. It's hard to think that we're not the best. But as soon as you can acknowledge to yourself that you're not, you have so much to learn and become a sponge, the more people are going to help. And, um, and Ryan Holiday talks about this in his book, Ego is the Enemy. He says that, uh, that the pretense of knowledge is our most dangerous vice because it prevents us from getting any better. And somebody that thinks they know everything can't learn. Right. And false ideas about yourself destroy you. And um, it says, you know, a, a true student is like a sponge absorbing what goes on around and filtering it, latching onto it to what it can hold, and also being self-critical, self-motivated, and always your own critic. And so the amazing thing that happened with it was when, um, when Kirk Hammett went back and had done two, two to three years with Satriani, his licks were better because it was actually much cleaner playing it was it was a much cleaner school of thought and he was doing more with less and so uh i think that's the that's the whole thing today is being a student being a sponge and finding yourself where you want to be by learning all of the shit around you that you can because as we sit down to proof our work you know as you're going to make an elevator pitch as you're going to open your first shop you're going to open up your business you um it's easy to get and it goes to the five-year thing with the club, too, is you start getting comfortable where it's like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And as soon as you say that, it starts to crumble, you know. Right. Um, so uh, when the student is ready to learn, the teacher appears. And I think that when you put that into the uh, universe, it comes back to you. So, yeah. um, well, thanks for your time today. No I really problem. appreciate you stopping by the uh, kitchen here. No problem. That's awesome. So this is Courtney Hansen. <laughs> I feel like we're like on this little pillow just oh, talking so to nice. each other. Yeah. Aww. This is my beautiful wife. You've seen her uh, all through television. So uh, check her out online. And um, I don't know. <laughs> on Hulu. On Hulu. Watch some episodes in yeah, Nashville. Yeah, watch some Hulu episodes. Yeah. Hulu's fucking pretty badass. We is, We yeah. cut the cord on we cable. Had to. Yeah. yeah, and Hulu's pretty cool, so I'm enjoying it. Um, thanks for your time today. This is the Too Dumb thanks, to Quit Hulu. podcast. Is there anything you want to leave with everybody other than a baby that just woke up? Um, no, I think I'm good. I don't know. Tell I, I tell was, everybody your dentist joke today. I was just gonna say because <laughs> people have like dad jokes, and then there's my wife jokes, and this is how my wife jokes. It. This is what's on our our little uh, chalkboard for today. My dentist told me I needed a crown. I said, I know, right? <laughs> Courtney Hansen, Too Dumb to Quit podcast. Tell your friends if you enjoyed it. Three of your friends, let them know. And, uh, and then I'll talk to you more next week. If you're in the Northwest, come see me. State Line, Idaho, this weekend. TheNashvilleNorth.com. Check me out, JeremyMcComb.com. And Too Dumb to Quit podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, Google, um, probably the dark web. <laughs> 
what else? Uh, Snapchat. Uh, what are the dating apps called? Ancestry.com. No, we don't <laughs> date. Why are we supposed to know? I know. Since we've got married, my dating life's gone to shit. Oh, there it is. What really happened on that Thursday here at Augusta High School that led to Chris Wood's death? The fuck is that? Shit! I'm dying in this fucking country ass fucked up town. <laughs> Shit flying in my mouth. The fuck? I can't see pollen. Let's get the fuck out of this country, motherfucker. I can't see 